0: Today, I'd like to talk about the the anxieties that we experience in life. How's that for an opener? (laughs) Um, And in order to talk about our anxieties, we're gonna look at some of the reasons that we feel so anxious, and also how that there's something that we can do about it. Now, the first half of this message is a little dense, a little thick. And so I heard a preacher say once, you have to listen on purpose, maybe if you could help me with that today. Also, this is maybe just for a few of you. You'll know who you are. If any of you feel like you need to talk back to me a little during the preaching, I welcome that. You know who you are. Frankie, (laughs) how's it going over there? (laughs) Um, So our main text today comes from 1 Peter in the New Testament. That's almost at the end of the Bible, the Epistle of Peter. And I want us to listen to what Peter says and to hear it as both a diagnosis and as a care plan for the anxiety that we feel so that we, as followers of Jesus, can live fearlessly. But first, let's visit a verse that many of us have probably heard. And it comes from 2 Timothy in the New Testament. And it goes like this, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power power. And of love and of a sound mind. Timothy tells us that we have been given not a spirit of fear or timidity, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. But if I'm honest, I have to admit that I don't often feel especially powerful or lovely or sane. And if you're honest, I suspect you'll have to admit the same. Somebody's talking back to me already. <laughs> so, and that, that promise that God has given you a spirit of power and love and a sound mind seems ideal, doesn't it? Seems like something you would like to know, but don't exactly experience day by day. Okay, so then to our main text, 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, 3 verse 14 and 15. We'll have it on the screens. Do not fear what they fear, and do not be, what's that say? Intimidated. Intimidated. Verse 15, but in your hearts, sanctify Christ as Lord. Some translations say, revere Christ as Lord in your heart. And then it goes on. This part is kind of familiar. And always be ready to make a defense to anyone who demands from you an account of the hope that lies within you yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Peter tells us not to be afraid, not to be intimidated. The great American poet, um, W.H. Auden, wrote at the outset of World War II, he wrote a poem called September 1st, 1939. And in that poem, he says famously that ours is the Age of anxiety. The lights must never go out, he says. He sees us seated at the bar, perhaps after work, riddled with anxiety. And he goes on, the lights must never go out. The music must always play. Lest we should see where we are, lost in a haunted wood. Children afraid of the night who have never been happy or good. That's the poet's reading of our state. And actually, he wrote that in 1939. And if anything, it's only intensified since then. Of course, it's true that life has always been difficult. Human beings have been around for thousands of years. It's always been hard. There's always been the fear of death crouching at the door of our awareness. But I suspect that our culture, the one that you live in and the one that I live in, is eaten up with an anxiety that very few cultures have ever really experienced. I think we can say a little bit about why that is, although there are of course many, many reasons, some of which I wouldn't name in particular, but I can name just off the cuff a few. One, I think we live with a crushing weight of unprocessed guilt and grief in our world today, because our culture does not grieve well. And maybe we don't know that, but our culture doesn't grieve well. We, we do not have rituals of grief. We do not know how to process and share guilt. We are so hyper-individualized in terms of responsibility, we don't think that we have to answer for what our fathers or their fathers or their fathers did or did not do. And yet our souls know the truth. And so over time, we accumulate the weight of unrepentant sin and unprocessed guilt and unprocessed grief, and it, it, it is a burden on our lives, and our bodies keep that score. Maybe you've heard of that. Our bodies keep that score. Another reason, are you listening on purpose? Another reason we have the anxieties that we have, I think, is the speed. It's the soul-deadening speed at which we are forced to live that the market expects us to be productive, that our schedule uh, requires our presence, and then we end up fitting our real lives around the lives of our jobs and around the expectations of our jobs, and so that generates anxiety because the things that matter most often get the least attention. We don't have energy left to give to our loved ones, to our friends, and we don't have time to play because we're too busy, and a third reason, I think is the inescapable or almost inescapable presence of noises and voices that technology brings to us. Our smartphones, our smartwatches, 24-7 cable, the internet means that there's always people delivering bad news and bad advice, right? And we can't really escape it, or it's very difficult to escape. And that, of course, generates anxiety. It's overpowering and disempowering to constantly hear news about catastrophes that we can do nothing about. You hear about macro-scale catastrophes like the war in Ukraine or the war in Sudan. And then we hear about miniature-scale catastrophes like the sudden death of, uh, of an infant in a crib. And we're powerless. What can you do? And we are awash in that bad news and that bad advice, talking heads, constantly pressing in for our attention. Another reason I think that we have we are experiencing anxiety so profoundly is we have pathologized all suffering. Follow me on this. We spend much of our lives just narcotizing the pain that we feel. Any pain. And for good or for bad, and some of it is good, right? Some of it's good. You know, we we have a lot of ways of deadening pain. Thank goodness, if I'm going to have my tooth removed, right? I'm glad there's a deadener for that pain, amen? And yet there is some pain that should not be deadened. And many of us have lost touch with the wisdom that tells us the the difference between the kind of suffering that I should bear and the kind of suffering that I should try to be freed from and that creates anxiety. Too much suffering can make us anxious, but not suffering when we should creates an even deeper anxiety, not being able to feel the pain that is ours to feel. Another, and this is harder to talk about, is the kind of attention that we have been conditioned to give to the world. Most of us have been conditioned to to focus on the particulars, to focus on the, the maps of reality that, that we can make because those give us some semblance of feeling of control. But actually, that's not human, how human beings were meant to live. Your brain is divided into two hemispheres, right? So your brain is divided because you need two different kinds of attention to work together. A left hemisphere kind of attention that can focus on particular things so that you can grasp what you need to grasp, both physically and metaphorically, but also remain aware of your surroundings. So we need a kind of attention that is is what your left hemisphere primarily does, that allows you to get stuff done and be in control but you need that to be married to and wedded to and in communication with a kind of awareness in which you're not apprehending. You're simply attending. You're simply present. You're not grasping. You're just here. You're not taking control. You're simply receiving in joy or in sorrow, whatever the case may be. And many of us are left hemisphere dominant. And this includes how we read the Bible. Many of us have been taught to read scripture where we hyper-focus on a particular text or a particular issue in the text and we ignore everything else. Where a lot of attention is given to a few details, but we don't sense the whole. And I think that most of us have been conditioned in various ways to live like that in every part of our lives, in part because it makes us feel like we've got it. It gives us certainty It makes us feel that we don't need to bother with the mystery of life. I know it, people say, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. But your soul, your heart, your deep heart knows better. And so even though you're telling yourself, I've got this, you know better at some level, and anxiety is the reminder you're not telling yourself the truth. And I've only listed some general reasons we feel chronic anxiety. There's some other ways that some of us have to navigate. I think about what people of color have to navigate. And of course, I could go on and on about how some of us have other anxieties in our lives, but now let's turn our attention to First Peter chapter three again. So listen to what Peter says. And like I said at the outset, I want you to hear this as both a diagnosis and as a care plan for our anxiety so that we can live fearlessly. So this letter opens in First Peter to the exiles who have been chosen and destined by God the Father and sanctified by the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ. And Peter says, do not fear what they fear and do not be intimidated. Do not be intimidated. God help us if followers of Jesus are going to be intimidated in this world today. Yes, there's anxiety all around us. But, but Peter is, is speaking to, to, to followers of Jesus. And he's saying, look, I know that there's lots of reasons to be intimidated. There's lots of reasons for anxiety. But I don't want you to be intimidated. We are, but Peter says, don't be. Don't be intimidated. He goes on, but in your, heart of, in your, in your hearts, sanctify Christ as Lord, we all know, right, uh, what it's like to be intimidated. You ever felt intimidated? I, I, I have. I remember times in grade school, middle school. I remember times in my 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. I remember times this past week. We all know what it's like to be intimidated. You know, there's a mystery in that word that's often lost on us. Intimidation is actually something that is, it's intimated into us. To be intimidated technically is to have powerlessness suggested into you. We tend to think of intimidation as being overpowered, but actually intimidation comes about because over time people have suggested and hinted that you are powerless, that you should be powerless, and we drink it in we drink that poison in one drop at a time, and suddenly we find ourselves powerless and intimidated. Peter is speaking to people who are intimidated, and he says, don't fear what they fear, and don't be intimidated, but in your heart sanctify Christ as Lord. That's the operative phrase for today. I'm gonna talk about what it means to, to sanctify Jesus as Lord in your heart so that you can always be ready to make a defense to anyone who demands from you an answer for the hope that is in you. Now, I don't wanna single any, any particular uh, person or any religious tradition out for abuse, but many of us will have been taught that the most important thing in our life is our relationship with God. I mean, it just sounds right, right? As a matter of fact, when I just said it, it sounds right that what matters is the way that I relate to God. And that's true, but it's only a half-truth. Because often what is coupled with that has been that, the, is that my relationship to God is the negation of my relationship to myself. That what matters to, is God, not me. His will, not mine, ever. That I should obey Him by being false to myself. And without realizing it, because we're dealing in simplicities in that way, we are suggesting something that actually cuts right against the grain of Scripture. Listen again to what Peter says. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be intimidated, but in your hearts, sanctify Christ as Lord and do all that you do in answering their questions with gentleness and respect. Verse 16 goes on to say, keeping a clear conscience. Do you hear what he's saying? Not simply be true to God no matter what they do, but you relate to yourself, sanctify Christ in your heart, and then do do what you do in such a way that you have a, a good conscience. That you are able to be at peace with yourself in how you're responding to others because you are at peace with God, and there's no way to separate them, being at peace with yourself and being at peace with God. Many of us will know this passage. It comes from Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. It speaks about the heart. Some of you can probably quote it. Keep your heart with all diligence for... Does anybody know the rest of it? From it. From it are the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence. We might not know this passage as well. Psalm chapter 16. Psalm chapter 16, verse 7 through 9. Here's what it says. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. Maybe you've heard that before. But have you heard this? Have you read this next part? (laughs) In the night also my heart instructs me. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night, also my heart instructs me. I keep the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved, therefore my heart is glad, my soul rejoices, my body also rests secure. We don't miss that. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel, many of us have heard that before, God gives me counsel, the spirit tells me, but the next line of the psalm, in the night my heart instructs me. The Lord gives me counsel, my heart instructs me. Not I teach myself, but my heart teaches me as the Lord teaches my heart. That God gives me counsel that works its way down deep into my life, into my soul, into that unconscious, hidden central core, of my being. God works on my spirit, and then my spirit works on my mind and my awareness and my conscious awareness that the Lord is always before me because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. The Psalm goes on to say, therefore my heart is glad and my soul rejoices, and did you catch that? And my body rests secure. Oh, church, that's, that's, those words are thousands of years old, but they're touching the nerve of our experience right now. If your body is anxious, if you're not sleeping, if you're not able to be at peace, your body is keeping the score and telling you you're losing. It is because you are not at peace with yourself. You're not listening to your heart. God is counseling you you're not letting your heart. I'm not letting my heart instruct me. One of the effects of our world uh, in this modern industrialized, technologized society in which we live, hyper individualistic as it is, is that we lose touch with our hearts, and and our hearts lose touch with the spirit, and that's our condition. Not that God doesn't still have us. He does. But our hearts have lost confidence in God's having us and we've lost touch with our hearts being in touch with God. We're not listening to our own hearts and our hearts are not relying upon God. Of course, many of us will have heard that passage from Jeremiah. you, You may know where I'm going with this. The heart is what? Desperately wicked. Who can know it? The King James says. But then, unfortunately, what we usually do is we jump from that to whatever you do. Don't listen to your heart. Whatever you do, don't pay attention to your instincts or your intuition. Instead, listen to your research, which is that video you saw on Facebook yesterday. (laughs) Instead, listen to your research, which is that one chapter from that one book you read that one time. But what are you gonna listen to? Christ followers. What are you going to listen to? Because God has made it so that our hearts are actually meant to be a reliable witness to his heart. Blaise Pascal, in his Pensies, hundreds of years ago, said something extraordinary. He said, the heart has its reasons which reason does not know. He went on to say, it is the heart which experiences God and not the reason, wow. For the heart, the heart has its reasons which the reason does not know, for the heart is where God has experienced, not the reason. Now, Pascal's not talking about feelings in some superficial harm, hallmark type of way. He means that there's a deep core to your being and to mine. He means exactly what scripture means by it, that there's a deep core to your being called your heart. And that's where God can be known intimately. But you've got to be in touch with your heart to know what God knows, what you know about God and what God knows about you. You've got to be in touch with yourself. This is what the psalmist is saying. The Lord gives me counsel in the night. My heart instructs me. You can't relate to God without relating to yourself. If you don't know your own heart, you won't know what God is saying to you in your heart about who you are, his love for you, your identity in him. If you are not able and if I am not able to let my heart or your heart instruct us, we won't receive the counsel of the Lord and our anxiety will build and build and build. So I wanna pivot and I am going to turn to Acts chapter 17 in scripture when Paul went to a place called Athens, that, that great city. Paul finds himself at the Areopagus, the Mars Hill, as it's called. And here he is, Paul is there in Acts chapter 17. He's passing through Athens, and he is grieved, Scripture says, by the idolatry that he sees everywhere. Everywhere he turns, he sees idols, and altars to idols, and offerings on those altars. And he's given a chance to talk to the men of the city, to talk to the philosophers, Do you remember what he says? He says, Athenians, I see that in all things you are very religious. And he means it as a compliment. Now, one of the things that's striking to me, just a side note, is that even though Luke, who's the author of Acts, tells us that Paul here, he tells us that Paul was deeply grieved by what he sees in Athens, Paul doesn't tell the Athenians that. You know what he does when he talks to them? He doesn't say a word about grief. He says, I see that you are very religious, you're deeply pious, you're faithful people, and your poets have said that God is the one in whom you live and move and have your being. And Paul says this, he says, I I, I saw an altar here in the city. Can we put that picture of Athens back up? Paul says, I saw an altar here in the city amongst the many I saw an altar that caught my attention. It was an altar to the unknown God. And Paul says, I have good news. I can name him. I can tell you who he is, that unknown God. His name is Jesus. And right there, he declares unto these Athenians, Jesus Christ. Now notice what Paul is able to do. Because he is in touch with his heart, and his heart is in touch with God, Even though he's grieved, he doesn't have to project that grief or that anxiety onto people that he's speaking with. Even though he knows what he's seeing is deeply wrong, he can praise what is right without having to name what is wrong. He has no illusions about what is happening here. But he also knows the only way to set these people free is not by accusation, but by promise. It is the kindness of God that draws us to repentance. And so even though Paul's heart is broken by the idolatry he sees, what comes out of his mouth is blessing and not curse. And that means he knows his heart and he knows the Lord of his heart. And so he says, I wanna talk to you about this unknown God. So here's what I want you to do in my last few minutes. Friends, this Labor Day, 2023, whatever you are experiencing in life, wherever you are in the midst of all of these anxieties, whether you are a kid, just started school again, you're a teenager, trying to navigate the anxieties that teenagers come across, whether you're a young adult Gen Z, 30 something, 40s, Gen X like me, God pray for Gen X like me, pray for that, that generation. Whether you're a boomer, an older saint, whether you are experiencing mild or acute or chronic anxiety or maybe none, but you're about to, whatever you've been feeling, the Lord wants to meet you in the midst of those fears with his love. And so, in the last few moments of this message, I'd like you to do something, if you would. I'm aware that we are living in an age of anxiety. If it was true in the poet W.H. Auden's time and during World World War II, it's true now as well, and in so many ways that we can attest to. What is a follower of Jesus to do? as we live and move and have our being in this age of anxiety. How many of us in this room and how many of us living, uh, watching online have felt anxiety about something, have been afraid about something, have been intimidated by someone or something as recent as last night or this morning, can a follower of Jesus live fearlessly? Yeah. I yeah. want you to stop for a moment and ask yourself, and maybe you need to close your eyes while Brian helps us out here and plays a little bit. Close your eyes. If you did a tour right now of your own heart, if you went deep inside, like Paul went into Athens, and you just walked around the city that is your heart, what altars would you find there? What religion is happening inside of you? And can you find the altar that's at the center? Because somewhere inside every single one of you and in me, there's a center altar I mean, there's all kinds of altars, right? But there's a center altar, and everything depends on what that altar says and what gets done there at your very core. If we're living in an age of anxiety and we've got altars all throughout our heart, we're not going to be able to live fearlessly. But if we go to that, that place at the very middle and we declare Jesus as Lord, right there. That could be the beginning of a brand new fearless life. In Athens, in the very center, it was an altar to an unknown God. And so back to Peter as we close, what did he say? He said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Find that central altar in your heart and make it Jesus's altar. What do you and I really have to fear? What do we have to fear? And so hear me, church, if you're anxious, and you are, sanctify this man, Jesus, in your heart. Sanctify him and his story as the truth of truth, truths in your heart. And go to that altar at the very center and say, this is not an altar to an unknown God. No, this is Jesus's altar. And if your heart will do that, not your mind, but if your heart will do that, you will not be afraid. Let me pray for us. Lord, we... We're told by the Apostle Peter not to be afraid. And God, that's the life that you have for us. Yes, uh, Auden was right. This is the age of anxiety. It's been happening for a long time. But you have something better in store for your followers. And so Jesus, help us to revere you help us to sanctify you as lord in our hearts and then not to be intimidated but to to live this life lord with the fearless way that you invite us to have courage and to step out every day lord with you in our hearts and then we'll find that we are ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us we pray this all in jesus name amen